0: Maybe in five years, I want to do more related with technology. Maybe in AI, which was part of my research topic during my PhD, I can see the potential of artificial intelligence. When we started the current business, we have a very big vision that we want to make artificial intelligence more accessible to different industries. In the long term, I really want to do something, even though what's the thing, I haven't figured it out. But to encourage more girls to have the power and courage to live the life
1: Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Fanny Lin is the co-founder and CEO of Eileverse, a no-code AutoDL platform that allows anyone to build custom computer vision models with small data sets. Before Eileverse, Fanny co-founded her own EdPec startup that taught affordable and high-quality DRE English courses to Chinese university students who want to study overseas. Hi, Fanny. So nice to speak with you today. It's so great to meet you. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me in your podcast.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: Yeah, I was super excited to talk to you because I have been following you ever since, you know, I think a couple of weeks before I had you featured on one more, uh, I mean, on Icebreakers for BackScoop. Mm-hmm. And then I was super glad to see you get into Sequoia Spark. And I think it was a good time to reach out and have you uh, on the podcast because I feel like there's so much more that I could get to know about you because I feel like your story is super interesting and there was not (laughs) much I could discover for myself so I thought you know might as well get on a conversation. Thank
0: you so much it's my pleasure I mean I would like to share more.
1: So I think what I wanted to hear about you was like you know what is it like for you growing up I think you grew up in China right?
0: Yeah I was born and raised in China before I came to Singapore in 2018.
1: So you were born and raised in China where did you grow up so I think you went to university in Harbin but are you from that region as well? Because I know a lot of people move for college, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was born and raised in Fujian, which is a province very close to Taiwan. And then when I was 18 years old, after the college entrance examination, I attended a university in Harbin, Harbin Institute of Technology which is one of the best engineering universities in China. And I spent four years in Harbin to get my bachelor's degree before I got the scholarship and came to Singapore for my PhD. So in general, that's uh, the two places I spent most of the time in China. And these two provinces are entirely different from each other in terms of the living habits or even the food. And the people's culture is entirely different, so it's an uh, entirely new experience. When I attended university in Harbin, it actually even though it's um Harbin is still at, uh, compared to Fujian in the same country, but it feels to me like a foreign country compared to Singapore because there are so many Fujian people in, in Singapore, yeah.
1: So, like, I think in Fujian it's really like warm, right? Because it's near the south. I think there's a yeah. lot more like rivers yes. and like water bodies of water. But I think Harbin is really, really cold. I think I've seen a couple of pictures of like your winter time, and it looks like you know yes. there's just ice yes, yes. structures everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, like in Harbin, the temperature difference. In summer and winter, could be up to 60 degrees Celsius. However, in Fujian, it's just like 20 degrees Celsius in terms of temperature difference. So the, it's entirely different. It's very cold. In winter, in Harbin, could be like minus 30 degrees Celsius. Yeah, so quite interesting experience.
1: So when you arrived at Harbin, were you like really, really like covered in multiple layers? Was it hard to adjust to the weather? Because I I saw pictures before and I was like, man, I have to visit this place because I'm sure my toes are going (laughs) to freeze off, (laughs) but it's probably going to be really fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So in the first year of the winter, actually, I want to share a story is that in my first semester from September to December. Since October, we have been wearing at least four layers, thicker and thicker. And what's the problem is, I add, I think it's like 10 kilograms in my weight. It's my (laughs) first time during the whole 18 years, like I become fatter and fatter actually (laughs) month by month. But I didn't notice that. The reason is every day we were wearing so thick clothes and then I didn't pay any attention to the whole body shape because like <laughs> every day you have been wearing so so many clothes. And then uh, in December when I went back home, my mother when she first saw me, she was like shocked because <laughs> it was the first time she Saw me like in such kind of body shape after I put on ten kilograms, but I just didn't notice that. I think that would be that would be one of the disadvantages when we live in a very cold <laughs> places. Just because too, the clothes are too thick, and then we cannot notice too much. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Because even indoors, right, you have to wear thick layers of clothing. So there will really not be much time for you to realize like much change in weight, right? Yeah, that's, that's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. But that was your first year.
0: Yeah, in alone. the first year. The first, oh, wow. yeah, first semester. And then I successfully lost weight. <laughs> the second semester when the summer came and then we started paying attention. Oh, OK, I cannot go like
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so in so the summer were you situation. still in Harbin when you're trying to lose weight or were you back home in like summertime and heat and then maybe your mom was like <laughs> with you already
0: it was still in Harbin but because my mother was very strict oh, I okay. have a very strict mother not only in study but also in personal life she so she uh, pushed me to do more exercise and uh, lose weight so i think you'll see in Harbin. in Harbin, i think uh, i just back to the normal weight like when i attended university
1: i would have never guessed that you would have ever put on 10 kilograms in your life like you look super skinny in all your photos <laughs> so it's definitely successful weight loss <laughs> Yeah, the problem is you put down 10 kilograms weight
0: in just four four months. So it was like a shock to the people who haven't seen you for four months.
1: (laughs) Definitely. But what was it like growing up in Fujian? And you mentioned you have a strict mom. Did you always want to study the field that you want to be in now? Because, I mean, I don't see a lot of women in AI and electrical engineering. But I think it's more common in China, right, for women to take science and technology. But has this been your interest since you were young, or is it something that your mom pushed onto you and you grew to like? What's the story there?
0: Yeah, my mom was very strict, but only regarding the study and something other, like the personal life. But she never pushed me to pursue what I want. Like, she always respected my choice her expectation is mainly regarding like she want me to do best in the area I want to which already become part of my habits since young. So back to your question when I was young I already been very fascinated about technology in general always very curious about why things work like this why things work like that, why this device will get broken, something like that. I always try to figure out what's the reason. I think that's part of the reason why I decided to choose something related with technology. And the second reason is related with my father, because my father is chief engineer on ships. So when I was young, she always studied, because at that time she needed to pass some of his exams to get promoted. So that's why she always has very thick books at home, which he need to study to pass the exam, which is related to mechanical engineering or electrical engineering or something related, anything related, on ships. So that's also part of my reason why I get interested to explore more in technology, and that's that's the reason why I choose this major when I firstly attend university. But actually. Started two majors during my bachelor's period. Another one is English translation because I'm always interested to figure out related with um, insights in people's language. And I specialized in technology translation. You can see this is a interdisciplinary topic. I tried to my bachelor's thesis related with um, how was the level of translation in electrical engineering in the year of 2018, related uh, with human experts in translation and also machine translation. So I'm always interested uh, and fascinated about the technology-wise and also the interdisciplinary topic.
1: So you're really fascinated with a lot of difficult topics, I think, on one. And it's really hard to be good or interested in like technology, all the science and all the engineering, but. I think language is a whole other part of the brain that is equally as challenging, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think every topic, if you want to do best, is always
0: challenging. But challenging things is the thing that is
1: exciting. So I'm curious, like when you you said your dad was a chief engineer in a ship. Yeah. But what was your first sort of touch point with getting interested in technology, how did you realize you were interested in it? Was it when maybe you were young, you'd read the books of your dad? Or were there other influences that came earlier?
0: I think the main contact point was when I was young, I read my father's books. That is related to how is the technical part on a ship. You can see it's a very comprehensive system that includes not only knowledge in mechanical, parts but also electrical part but also some other parts i don't know and uh, i've been interested to see that different technologies combined together to make this holistic system that's how the interest came from i believe so
1: and were these books in mandarin like in chinese or were these yeah. books originally in english translated to chinese or were they actually by like, chinese i don't know engineers who wrote the book all, themselves. All those
0: books are in, uh, in Mandarin. So at that time, we cannot understand too much. I, th- I think at that time, I was just like six or seven years old. At the beginning of the primary school, um, cannot understand too much about the terminology in the okay. books, even though it's in Mandarin, but it's just like, you know every character, but you don't know what does this mean. What I could do at that time is read those figures. You can see that there are some figures try to draw out uh, the whole mechanism for the whole system. For example, just like the electric power system on a ship that has the power generating part that has some energy storage system. You can see how it works with each other. That's how the first interest comes from to see, OK, this technology looks very interesting that can power such a huge object which is a huge ship to move for days and months that's a few about interesting when i was young and i decided to figure out more to start a major in that topic
1: yeah and what were you like when you were younger were you tinkering with a lot of different gadgets or t- building different things like what would you usually do when you were maybe in middle school or high school in the middle of school and high school, what I was usually doing, I think the
0: first priority is always um, study. Like, I really enjoy studying different subjects. For example, like, I was always good at studying, not only because of my mother has an expectation, but second is just like you enjoy being the best in, in the school. I didn't seriously take the... High school entrance exam and also college entrance exam was always recommended to the high school and the college before I took the exam. Just like it makes you feel good to prove yourself in study. And secondly, is I'm always interested to figure out the overlap between different subjects. For example, when you study English, when you study physics, I try to figure out what's the overlap between each other, which is one aspect is uh, translation in physics. That's why in my university, I decided to study two majors and put that as one of my research under my English major. And secondly, it's just like feel fun to explore different or you study deeper in one subject and then With those knowledge, you can figure out a new domain in a disciplinary topic. That's, that's basically the, what, what I was busy with. And second thing is, I want to start It's like set up new organization, set up a new initiative. For example, in high school, I was the first one to set up a girls, how to say that in English, like kind of like girls club to encourage different girls to to do whatever they want. For example, uh, previously in our high school, we have different classes like science and language. Started different language clubs or maybe tennis or this kind of sports club. So I took the initiative to start to start a girls' club in which the girls can do something they want. For example, design new clothes, which was never existed in our high school. So we just encourage. I, I took the initiative to apply to the, the, our school to organize a space and a time slot that only dedicated to a certain group of girls and then do whatever activities they want, which did not exist in the high school. For example, as I said, clothes design or maybe just uh, learn how to make sweaters. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and also some dances, I also did that in my university, NTU. I set up a new organization in our dance club to study uh, social dance, which is called Bachata. I led the group and also made a choreography and trained girls to give them opportunity to give the first performance in the campus. So that's all, I think, what I've been interested about to do something that i want to do and took the initiative to start it
1: so the girls Club be started in high school i think the way i understand it is was it because all the other clubs were maybe more male interests like there is no club for maybe things that girls do like or girls are interested in like clothing or i don't know knitting and things like that
0: yeah, there are some more girly there are, more, there are some more girly stuff, like designing clothes or so some girls are interested about doing something with, with their hands. Design or making some cuffs, like the draw the something. Oh, arts and crafts. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like the, exactly. like the paper uh,
1: cutting in China, like things like that. yeah, ah, yeah, yeah, correct. Like uh, yeah, I think some, it's called some like, activity shou, like that. Like the yeah. Shogong stuff. I think. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay.
0: That is something that girls are more interested about and that gives them a space that they can just stay with girls to share the secrets between each other and feel more safe. Yeah, basically that's what it means.
1: Were there other clubs in your school that were girls only, but maybe they were only for like women's basketball or women's football or women's, um you know, more of like, it's a male, typically male interest, but they just have a women's club for it? Or were there actually zero clubs for exclusively girls at the time?
0: There were zero girls oh, wow. okay. club exclusively. And mainly there are different clubs that usually girls and boys together. While there are some girls that don't like the existing clubs, for example, tennis or footballs or basketballs, they want to practice maybe yoga, which is more Girls, yeah, girly. In a way, they don't want to play tennis. I'm not saying all girls want (laughs) those stuff, but there are some certain groups of girls. There is more girly. They want time that only stay with girls. So in general, just want to create a space that only for girls to share the secrets and between each other.
1: Yeah. I really like this because like i feel like i fall into like that group of girls like i would sorry everybody who likes tennis and football i would never play tennis or football <laughs> i would rather just sit at a desk <laughs> with other girls and like not have to Yeah, roll. exactly yes and girls <laughs> would
0: like to spend more times with girls right especially yes. when you are in high school you just want even when you go to restaurants you go with girls your
1: friends, yeah, I was right? the same yeah like <laughs> last yeah. few years of school I was in like schools with boys but I realized now looking back after talking to you everybody hung out every day with was a girl <laughs> even though there were yeah, other guys exactly. around
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's the truth so that's why at that time I was thinking about why not have considering the club time is just like a relaxing and entertaining time right we should do whatever we want to do instead of doing like tennis or running something like that (laughs) we should do something we enjoy yeah so that's that's something
1: I also yeah sorry to interrupt you but that's also something I noticed about you though like I feel like there's a stereotype of a lot of women in STEM like we're or like women in like maybe their careers are not as maybe feminine or like they're not as girly like they don't have to put on nail polish and all these things I think especially in like the field of STEM there's always, yeah. I think, the stereotype on like movies or even the internet that girls who are interested in STEM are not that girly. Yeah. And like, what I liked about when I saw your profile, like you're in AI, you did some electrical engineering, etc. But then I, I see that you have nail polish, and honestly, you have nail polish and I don't. <laughs> and I've been looking at your nails this whole time. I was like, wow, her, her nail color is so nice. I want to get my nails done now too. <laughs> like even <laughs> if you're in a sort of male-dominated field. You're still like, I guess, like who you are, and you still retain that femininity. I I really like that about you as well, because I feel like there were times where myself or like other girls that I know, they when uh-huh. they're in their field, they feel like they have to be less girly or like put less makeup, like not put any nail polish. They can't look um, feminine. Like the outfits can't be so girly but I like that whenever I've seen your photos you still have like even from your outfits to like your nails and even the way like I think you dress up and fix yourself you still retain a lot of that femininity and I think you know it looks a lot like what you did in like high school (laughs) yeah and also
0: not only in high school but also in university I was at the beginning learning dance and started to teach uh, social dance in South Sand Bachata during my PhD and as I said as I shared just now I was the the one that started uh, the Bachata's club in NTU and made a choreography and made a girls' performance. We were so excited that, because in a club, right, in a club I organized uh, many girls who was pursuing a PhD degree in technology and science. And they were all like this. They still enjoy dancing, uh, even though they are in STEM, in technology and science. Like, this is sometimes a wrong perception that the girls in STEM, in technology and science, they, they look like male. They, that's why they decided to take the measure, take the major in technology and science. But the truth is there are still some girls. They are still who they are. And we shouldn't take it for granted that all girls in STEM will only look professional when they look like
1: male. Yeah, totally. And I think it's sad to see that this is like the stereotype that you see all over the place, right? Like so yeah, social media exactly. to the movies. Not,
0: not only in STEM, but also in entrepreneurship. I think you can see that especially in Asia, it's still like a dominated, uh, a man-dominated uh, ecosystem for the entrepreneurship. Um, even for the LinkedIn post I think you shared weeks ago, uh, only 12% of the female startups got funded uh, in Southeastern Asia. This is your a situation, which is a truth right now. Which we, as girls, as entrepreneurs, we want to change this in the coming future with our success.
1: Yes, totally. And like I feel like with more women, it's also an opportunity for us to sort of change like the perception of what like a female entrepreneur or a female in STEM looks like. Because I agree, like even like beyond like the stereotype of women in STEM, I think even females in entrepreneurship, you can't. They, if you feel like you can't look too girly. Or you feel like you'll be, you'll get a sort of a discount. Like people will look at you a bit yeah. less if you have too much makeup or like your hair is too fixed or yeah. maybe your nails are done. Like, I feel like something I just thought of now is like when you see like women in like a suit, like in the pants and the, this, mm-hmm. like the blazer, you call it like the power suit for women. But how come it's not a power suit when you're in a skirt, <laughs> you know? Like, why do you have yeah. to dress up like that? Like, like in the male looking version of a suit to look like you're a power woman right? Like, even those small things.
0: Yeah, those aren't just external appearance. I don't think those represent any of our professionalism.
1: Exactly. But it's sad that it has to reflect like that to other people. But, you know, going back to you, I think it's like, for me, just seeing you like express yourself like authentically like that, and like your interests, I was super happy to see that. And I think another question I also had was like, you know, when you were in high school and you're applying for, you know, university already. Yeah. What did you have planned for yourself? I think sometimes we have a goal of like what career we want or what we want to do in the future. What was that for you in high school when you're applying?
0: To be honest, I didn't have very clear goal in terms of the future career when I was in high school. What I was doing at that time is try my hard, try my best to learn different topics. I know and I've been told that when after, I would say after you have tried different topics hard enough, you know how different topics functions. And then you will figure out what's your future goal after you try different times. I think I have heard one sentence. When you were a teenager or in your 20s, try different things, try different new things. After that, you will figure out what's your life goal. And I believe my answer can. When I was pursuing my PhD degree, together running my own education business. And that is a time I realized that I want to be an entrepreneur in the future. Because I enjoy so much with my first business. So back to your question, I didn't know too much when I was in high school. But what I have been doing is try hard to do anything Available to me to study hard to figure out what the secrets and insight behind a subject, and then I believe that one day you will figure out what your life goal. For for me, that answer came much later. It's
1: just like maybe eight, seven years later after high school. That's awesome to see what you're doing now too, but. I also wanted to know if you could share a bit more about like how you even got into building an education startup while you were doing a PhD. I think doing a PhD alone is already hard. (laughs) So how did you get like the ed tech startup started? Yeah.
0: So it was at the beginning of PhD when I was in Singapore, tried to earn some pocket money. So I took a part-time job as a GRE writing instructor for a Chinese education startup. So I worked for them part-time as a GIE writing instructor. So after one year, I have, I think at that time I had more than 300 students already in total. And I also came up with the, my own methodology of how to get the GIE writing done to, I mean, for Chinese students to get a certain level of uh, score to pass their university requirements in a short time, in about just a, 10 days or two weeks. And, and also there is a market gap, which I can notice, which is the, those organizations, the, the, including the organization which I work for, when they scale up, the quality of education gets compromised. And there are some students paid tens of thousands RMB, which is maybe like 5,000 USD in one month, but getting no result because the quality of the teaching and the attention of the teachers was not there and they are not getting a result. So that became one of my motivations for starting a startup by myself to fill in this gap, to provide affordable. And the good quality education for that subject as a starting point, which is the GIE writing. Since I already know all methodology, why not do it by myself? So I took that initiative to do two things mainly. The first thing is I made my own contents. I used my experience in teaching GIE writing to design a course structure which aims to get 4.0 GIE writing, which is almost enough for most of the applications for Chinese university when they apply for uh, Chinese university students when they apply for university overseas. I design a 10-day course for students to pass, pass that uh, score boundary. And then secondly, is I leverage Taobao, which is the uh, Chinese biggest uh, e-commerce channel, to set up uh, a channel for customer acquisition. By doing that thing quickly, I actually got 50 students in just one week. And then I realized that I cannot handle it by myself if I continue to teach it by myself. So I use that contents to train 10 teachers, part-time teachers as well. And those teachers, how I found them, they are all my friends in university, either pursuing master's degree or PhD degree. They have some free time during weekend and evening. So I use my content to train them and uh, build a platform. Besides Taobao, try to match the instructor and uh, relevant students who have the needs regarding certain requirements. So that's how it got started. It was very surprisingly that it went so well. Like almost we, in terms of the first 500 students we got, we got, we achieved 100% of satisfaction rate. If you look at Taobao, right, usually the comment rate um, mm. for certain product, if you get, let's say, 90% or 85% of satisfaction rate, it's already a very good start is set out in Taobao. But our comments at Taobao in the first year was 100% satisfaction rate. So we use Taobao as one of the biggest channel for us. To acquire customers and then leverage on the platform we built to match the instructor the the students which we attracted from town
1: this is awesome everybody passed yes almost everybody Uh, passed there are mainly uh,
0: i think 500 students maybe only five percent that didn't get the score they expected what made me very proud is there are some students they have paid tens of thousands to some very famous ad tech company. For example, New Oriental, which was founded, I think, Hong in the early 1990s, it was a very famous ad tech company. Some students paid those schools to pass the exam, but they didn't. Because that course quality was not there. And after they attend our class, which I designed the whole structure, and I trained the teacher to guide them in just 10 days they can see the result and pass the exam. So that was something I was very proud of and also motivate me to continue building some impactful and uh, deliver the valuable product to the customer.
1: Yeah, like I think the most impressive part is that yours is like a 10-day course and then they can pass it already. And I think... You put it in a really good way, like they only need to get 4.0. Like yeah. not every student has to get the highest score, right? They exactly. just have to get 4.0. Yes. I think that's, the, that's also a really cool thing that you discovered, right? Uh, making it a 10-day course, making the goal, not the highest score possible, but a high score that's manageable for any student to get into most of the universities they probably want to go to, right? Yes, yes. And especially for those
0: students come from STEM, Like they want to study science and technology, usually the college boundary for journey writing is just like 4.0. If you are studying, for example, literature or something more related to arts, maybe you need to get 5.0. But for majority of the students in STEM, you don't need to get those. And you can see the result and get your past for 4.0 in just 10 days with an affordable price.
1: Yeah. And even I have seen like these sort of college admissions or university admissions. The prices are crazy, not just the ones in China, but across the world. I've seen some in the US, some from Hong Kong. And I think I've even seen some in the Philippines too, like the prices are ridiculous in general. And the fact that like you can offer one that's not just faster, but so much more affordable and you guys making the choice not to make the prices crazy too. I think that's just great.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's how our customers give us as a comment. I think I'm also very proud of that in terms of the results we can see on the students. Some students really change their life to attend their gym university because previously have failed maybe just only in GIE writing. And after a 10-hour course, they can get into those. That's the moment that I was even happier than my students.
1: I think these tests are actually sometimes the only hurdle left, right? Especially, I think for what you mentioned, you said these are usually STEM students. Usually, these students probably don't even have English as one of their focuses, and it's maybe not even their strength. So, being able to help them with this is really probably unlocking the last hurdle that they need to get like a job in the future, get into this university that will help change their lives in the end. Exactly, that's the story. (laughs) How did it progress though? When did you end up winding down the company? What is the story there of the last few months of the company? Because now you're not running it anymore, or is it still alive? Is somebody else running it on your behalf? I hand it
0: over to my friend who was an English literature professor in China, mainly because of three reasons. The first one is our section actually went down. I think it was at the beginning of 2022. That was one of the most important lessons I've learned. Well, our rejection went down mainly because of we leveraged too much on Taobao as our biggest channel. We didn't put too much focus on different channels at that time. And then suddenly we got some bad comments on Taobao. And because of Taobao's algorithm, they put that, those bad comments from maybe just one or two customers out of thousands of customers in the first, in the top of your comment list. And that actually triggered very significant and active effects. You can see dramatic reduction in attraction you can attract in that channel. And the business actually went down because of that reason at the beginning of 2022. That's also one of the lessons that we learned. We should not only leverage one channel. It was too risky, even though that channel performed very good. And second reason is at that time, I was busy with my graduation. For PhD, I need to travel to Denmark because my PhD degree was a joint degree. So I have to handle two sides of the study, not only in Singapore, but also in Denmark. So the study-wise quite busy. And last reason is I realized that education industry in a short term is not something I want to do. in Maybe in just these five or 10 years, I'm not saying in the future, I also don't know. But in the short time, maybe in five years, I want to do more related with technology. Maybe in AI, which was part of my research topic during my PhD, I can see the potential of artificial intelligence. And I want to do something. I believe that is the opportunity. It is the right time in these five years. I want to do some business related with that part. So that's why I hand it over to some of my friends in China who focus on English and decided to withdraw from ever since.
1: What other lessons did you learn that were maybe really pivotal for you to remember as you started your new company now? The lesson that we have learned. Yeah,
0: I think the biggest lesson we have learned will be...
1: Apart from just using one social channel.
0: Um, I think it will be be more focused, figure out a focus for the product.
1: When we started
0: the current business, we have a very big vision that we want to make artificial intelligence more accessible to different industries. And you can see this is very horizontal. This vision is super broad. And if we are not talking about technical side, because we believe um, as um, technical experts coming from the very deep foundation of the technology, we believe there's a way that make it feasible technological wise to solve this problem. But from the business wise, if we consider from sales and marketing, it's too hard. We need to figure out what's the ice breaking point. So right now, one of the biggest lessons we have learned is try to go narrow and narrow when you just get started and get more success story just in that Narrow vertical and bring it and penetrate it to other industries, and that's one of the most important lessons we have learned in our first six months when we just get started to run the current business. Because at the beginning, when we try to find our customers, we know that maybe this industry has some opportunity, that has some opportunity. And when we do, for example, just if we just talk about outreach to client, it was
1: so time-consuming
0: and low efficient with. We try to do different industries simultaneously.
1: I think that's a really great point. Uh, I think a lot of
0: founders, if you come from a technology background, right, you tend to think from a technology perspective. Think, okay, this problem, technically, it can be solved for different industries. But if we are talking from sales and marketing, without the vertical, it's super hard to get started. Yeah. I think it will be the most important lesson I wanted to share with those founders come from the technology background.
1: And since you said you like to apply your learnings from different fields, what is something you learned, you know, apart from what you mentioned earlier, from your first business that you apply as you build your startup now too? What have you learned from building your edtech business that is also really useful in what you're building now?
0: I think it would be the communication for communication with the client at the beginning before I hired my sales rep for my ad tech company I was doing the daily communication with the clients with the customers came from the top channel and then some of them are very careful regarding what is your credibility and uh, what is your success story and what is your customer client and I was not a very patient person at the beginning. And those experiences have trained me to understand what clients really look for and where we need to spend our patience in to persuade them, to convince them, to show our credibility. And also those experiences helped me better to set up the SOP after we hired our, our sales rep. At that time, I was not able to afford professional sales rep who I can hire, just like my college friends who are just together in the university, they haven't done any sales before. So that's why I need to set up the SOP for them, to train them, to tell them, okay, you need to stay with this kind of tone to give them this kind of information. So that's also one very important lesson. Personally, I have learned to make up
1: my previous gap. And what do you feel like is the hardest part of your job now as a second-time founder and being in the space that you're in?
0: Um, The hardest part, I believe, sometimes will be manage the traction, which is to talk to the market, talk to the client to get the traction, versus manage the conversation with investors. Sometimes, as a founder, it's kind of like a chicken-egg problem. When you speak to investors, they want to see more traction. However, sometimes without enough capital support, you also limit your capability to go out to spend more effort to find more traction. Right. So right now, because in my previous, in my first startup, we didn't raise funds. We were bootstrapping. So right now in this time, as a founder that first uh, learned to deal with the investor relationship how to deal with this kind of chicken-egg problem is also the topic that I have been exploring. Because without capital, you can, it's hard for you to, to get enough traction because you want to do various experiments. You want to spend more for your marketing to test whether this direction is correct or not. But without traction, the investors sometimes are hesitant to de-risk for them. So this kind of relationship, I think it's a lifelong learning topic for founders
1: right because in in your space i feel like even just the talent alone is very expensive for someone to be an expert in your field or to have experience in your field on top of that i think that like i'm not the expert you are but i feel like the technology is also very expensive too like the whole operation is just plain expensive versus your ed tech where you could just get any part-time person train them a little bit and use a little bit of the money that you have like that doesn't work with the business that you have now at all (laughs) Exactly. The
0: cost is super high in our domain, not only because of talents. Right now, because we are in the very cutting edge space of AI, the research we are doing basically like very innovative. So we need super good talents that know very well in this domain can independently do the research. So talents is expensive. Definitely. Secondly, it's very expensive also because of the computing power. We need to use a lot of GPU on AWS or GCP. Those kind of costs, even though we manage it carefully, every month should be at least four digit. USD sometimes go to five digit just uh, for
1: the computing. Just for the, the computing, server. not all the technology, exactly. just the computing part. <laughs> yeah,
0: just for the computing, <laughs> okay. just for the computing. But luckily, as a startup at the beginning, we got some AWS and the GCP support as a free credit and also Spark program give us some perks. But in the long term, first of all, it consumes super quickly right now because yeah. we need to do some R&D and also continue building. Building It's <laughs> You can see the left credit in our account is like a significant uh, lead drop every month. So it's very money consuming, as you said.
1: I'm not really a technical person. I can't even do some no-code tools myself. I have no experience in engineering. But what I've always found fascinating is that, you know, with startups doing really complicated technologies, it's super risky looking to investors. But if you don't fund it, then a potentially innovative industry changing Concept could actually never exist, but maybe it could have existed if you gave it some money. And I think like that's, I guess, the risk with every really deeply complex tech startup, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But for us, I think very luckily, is not only we got some free credit for the computing power because of the support of AWS, GCP, also Spark, SQL Spark. Secondly, we have got some talents super good talents that they are able to take minimum pay with us right now. Cause they resonate a lot with our long term vision. They believe in the future of our startup and they also enjoy working with us as a kind of like part of founding team. So we were very lucky to with these kind of talents in the very early days when we cannot pay that much of high salary to them, but they still work so hard and deliver very good quality of the research and the delivery to clients. We really appreciate to have those talent together with us in the very, very early days.
1: Again, I'm not really a tech person. I really have a hard time understanding, but I really tried to research and understand it. And once I finally did like break the ice of understanding, I felt like I got really excited as a person, even not really Techie. So could you share in simple words, what are you building? And like, what is the impact in a way that people like us can understand? Like, how does it impact businesses? Or how does it even impact us as individuals?
0: So in brief, the product we are building is named as New Core. It's a no-code SaaS solution that enables any kind of engineers with or without AI knowledge to build their custom vision AI models. So vision AI, computer vision is a subset of artificial intelligence that mainly takes image and video as input. It's different from ChatGPT. ChatGPT is in a different domain called natural language processing. The product we are focusing on is in computer vision. First of all, as an organization right now, you don't need to hire your professional AI engineer. Let's assume you just as developer in your team without any AI knowledge, you can have those engineers to use our tool to build your custom AI model for your own use cases. So second impact is the new core product is able to reduce the required training data points for the development to only 10%. So I can give you an example. Let's assume you build a computer vision model to detect certain objects from scratch. You build this model from scratch. It's very normal. You need to train the model with, let's say, 50,000 or 100,000 images, annotated images. You need to annotate these objects in those 50,000 or 100,000 images. So those are called training data points, which is time-consuming. And also in some industry, for example, defense, security, it's very hard to get those instances as a training data points because those instances are very rare. So with our technology, we are able with our product, we are able to reduce it those training data points in terms of number to only ten percent, maybe only hundreds or thousands, without sacrificing the accuracy. But sometimes the accuracy actually outperformed than the conventional way. So the business value out of this is firstly, you are reducing the cost for collecting data annotation. Secondly, is the development time get decreased to roughly only 10% of the original way. Because you reduce time for data collection annotation, but also the GPU training time, because a neural network right now is trained on smaller amount of data, also get decreased. Originally, you may need one week or two weeks if you train a model from scratch on your GPU server. Right now, you may just need to wait for a couple of hours, sometimes a couple of minutes, and then you can see your idea of AI to real business value. Really.
1: Got it. Let's say I wanted to make maybe a web app or like a website. Let's say everything else is built, but I wanted to be able to detect like a phone anytime I show it to the screen. So like if I already had all of that built except the detection, I just have the camera. I can just ask any engineer in my team to use your product, and then after maybe a few minutes or a few hours, he can put it into the app or the website, and then I can wave my phone to the screen, and it will say that's a phone, basically.
0: Correct. And- Exactly. So in that use case, right, maybe you just need to collect 10 data points with a form and then you just draw a boundary or drop box out of that using our tool. And then at the end of the process, the engineer will get the API or the SDK, software development kit, which you can integrate in your web app or any kind of app. But in general, the building process is basically no code. So that means even if you are not engineer, maybe just have no any single technology knowledge. Like you me. can just drag and drop. <laughs> yeah. You can just drag and drop to build those model using our tool. By the end, at this stage, our product, the delivery is API or SDK. So that means you still need to have some front end um, knowledge to try to
1: integrate those in your app. So
0: basically, that's how the product delivers value.
1: Okay, awesome. Now everybody can use AI and computer vision (laughs) with the help of an engineer. That's a long Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I usually don't try to ask too much of like the business side here and like put you in the hot seat. I felt like with your product, I think everybody who listens deserves to be able to fully understand how exciting it is. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. We
0: are trying to launch to public in the coming weeks We hope that we can get more feedback and really move towards the goal I mentioned to you just now.
1: It's super awesome. I hope that more people get to try it. I don't know how many people who plan to use AI are listening to this, but then I know maybe everybody who listens can try it out. Like I would love to see if I can actually get at least five steps into the process as a non-technical person.
0: (laughs) I mean, we're always look forward to
1: get feedback. If you have difficulty, we will try (laughs) what we can do to solve the difficulties. Yeah. As a founder, how do you manage all the work? I feel like the kind of work you do uses so much brain power because it's so technical. And that's just the technical side of your work. But even being a founder on the day-to-day is already extremely exhausting and extremely (laughs) mind-consuming. So how do you balance your founder life? How do you manage what do you do in the rest of the day or the rest of your week?
0: Besides work, I have different approaches to unwind because, as you said, it's super tiring, this job. We definitely need to take care of ourselves because it's like a marathon. So sometimes, basically almost every morning, I try to get up to do some exercise. For example, this morning, I run on treadmill Sometimes I cycle, sometimes I do some practice, some yoga and do some meditation. That's a good way to just to stay with yourself and reflect to see whether you're still okay to move on with a refreshing day. If not okay, take a longer rest. And then second thing is to spend more time with family and friends. Like my boyfriend is super supportive. Sometimes I feel very exhaustive. I will share my pains and suffering with him. He's always encouraging me to continue this journey. And also my parents, they always are very patient about my growth and my suffering. The difficulties I encountered uh, on a daily basis, they will always encourage me to be more patient and figure out what's going on, give myself more time to see the results. So those are where my power come from besides
1: what. That's awesome. I feel like I'm sure your mom is like super proud of you now. I think you mentioned like how she would push you to do your best. But I feel like especially being in such a difficult space like yours, you have to be pushed to be your best almost every day, every week. And I'm sure she sees that.
0: <laughs> yeah, right now, I think I already pick up the habits that I always push myself to the best. And then she started to do the opposite. <laughs> Sometimes ask me to, okay, take a rest. Don't work so hard. You need to take care of yourself. Yeah. She noticed that I have been sometimes too extreme for that habit. Yeah. And then she started to do the opposite.
1: And (laughs) I guess apart from that, I also wanted to ask one last question, something that I'm asking everybody. I speak to you for the podcast and it's outside of work. What's one thing that you want to accomplish in your personal life? that doesn't have to be something accomplished this week, this month, or even this year, or even in the next five years. But what's on the top of your mind when I ask outside of work, what's one thing you want to accomplish in your personal life?
0: In the long term, there's always one goal in my mind I want to achieve is I want to do something to encourage girls, more girls to do to live the life they want to live the life she wants. I would say, because especially in Asia or for example, in China, I've seen so many girls surrounding me because of different reasons, because of social pressure, because of the pressure coming from parents. They passively choose a life they don't want. Typically, that would become... Marry a guy quickly and give up the job or give birth to, to kids and give up the life intentionally. That was their dreams. So in a long term, I really want to do something, even though what's the thing, I haven't figured it out, but to encourage more girls to have the power and courage to live the life they want. I have tried something before. For example, in my previous nonprofit organization, which I founded as a founder, I tried to set up the girls' organization to encourage more girl leadership, but it was not that effective. I want to figure out what's in a long term more effective way, especially to encourage more Asian girls to, do, to live the lives I want. So hopefully, I will
1: figure out the answer
0: and the solution in the future.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that. And for now, I think you just living the life that you want to live. And choosing to do that every day, I think is already such a great example. So I feel like, you know, whatever you do in the future, I'm just so excited to see it. And I'm sure lots of girls will be inspired by your work. And even me, I think speaking with you, it's also a reminder to live my life authentically and express myself the way I want to express myself. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making the time. It was great to meet you and so great to learn so much more about you. It's like really awesome. Thank you, Amanda.